Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. This is a podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, and then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what random article did you happen upon today? Well, let's see. It's a day on Wikipedia, isn't it? So what we have here is a random geographic location. (laughs) Gomeran. For the village in Iran, see Gomeran, Iran. This one, however, is Gomeran in Armenia. It's a <laughs> village in the community of Gigahanush in the Sionik province, Armenia. According to a 2001 survey, the population is 76, making it worthless. Okay. Well, um, the article that I got... You win! ...is <laughs> Basiothia Shenki. What? It is... <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt you said that right, just oh The common name would be the brown striped hawk. Just say that. Which is a moth. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> of the Shfingidae <laughs> family. So Oh. Okay. This is the way <laughs> it's gonna be today, huh? <laughs> Alright. So yeah, we're going. I think we've talked enough about small villages. I do too. <laughs> I I concede that that's entirely true. But what? How do I even type this to get to the page? All right. Well, I'll start you off here until you, um, until it comes up for you. B a s i o t h i a space s c h e n k i. There we go. Bassiothashenki. <laughs> wow, what a weird looking little dude. Mm-hmm. All right. Bassiothashenki. It's a really strange scientific name. Because yeah. that is the scientific <laughs> name, but it sounds very, very much more, I don't know, Italian than Latin. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is known from Zimbabwe and South Africa. Hmm. That is what the sentence says. <laughs> that is not my choice to word it that way. That is what the website told me to say. It's a plant pollinator with Dysa Cooperi, whose page does not exist. Good. So, I guess that's a flower. But it says the scent of this thing attracts only two hawk moth species. So I guess the hawk moth is a thing, although there is no link to it. Yeah, what's going on with this? <laughs> yeah, the other hawk moth species that it attracts is the Agrius convolvuli, which sounds much more scientific. Yep, these are the only two that can effectively pollinate the flower. That's weird. Moths are not usually known for their pollination, but yeah. I mean, if it works, it works. Yeah, apparently it has the perfect proboscis length. 
proboscis. So it's the only thing keeping that entire species going. Yep. It's a very strange symbiotic relationship they've got going on. It says that the larvae, larvae, larva, the larvals, they feed on the on Vernonia species. Hmm. I don't know what Vernonia are, but I don't know if I want to. (laughs) Oh, maybe I just will like take a quick, quick peek. Quick peek. (laughs) It's a flower. All right. Like a leaf that they eat to grow, mm. I suppose. Nope. Okay. That well. is all that is relevant about this moth. <laughs> Apparently. I mean, that's all they want to say. Um, yeah, we don't have too great of a selection of options here. can go to Sphingidae. Sphingidae. Or Agrius convolvuli, Vernonia, Zimbabwe, Lepidoptera, South Africa, <laughs> Sa- South Africa, sorry, Shout Africa, Shout Africa. I mean, okay, or if you say so. Insecta, we just Insecta. broaden our horizons with all of insects. Dear Lord, it'd be <laughs> terrifying. Could just get a kingdom animalia. <laughs> just real blow this thing out of proportion. <laughs> or we could go to scientific classification. Learn about no, some. No, we couldn't. But we're not. <laughs> <laughs> or pentanis, pent, pentanisia. I like that Pentanesia? one. I like where that link is because it doesn't talk about it anywhere else. It's just like over <laughs> here under the picture. It's just a caterpillar feeding on some pentanesia. What is a pentanesia? Well, let's find out. Huh? Mm. Well, we've made mistakes. <laughs> it is a flower. Mm. That is all that is known about this flower. There are 19 species, all of which have links that go nowhere. <laughs> I wonder why somebody would link to something that does not exist. I mean, these things exist, but nobody cares about them, so <laughs> why did you do this? It's like linking us to a town where there's nobody who lives there. <laughs> don't do not do that. Don't create these articles. <laughs> Ooh, we could go to a link for Harv, which, Harv. if you hover over it, goes to William Henry Harvey. Yeah, we're doing that. <laughs> I don't know why Harvard's hanging out down there. Here, here's a link full. Here, the Penta Pentanisia article is just a link full of uh, just a whole bunch of dead links, some more scientific terms, and then under genus, Harv Harv's hanging out down there. <laughs> it's just Harv period. Harv period. There he is. <laughs> hey Harv. No context at all. <laughs> no. Just a Harv. Oh no. All Maybe right. it's somebody trying to slip something past the Wikipedia censors. Just say. Just like, hey, let's see if that stays in there past <laughs> the edit. Nobody looks for things in the boxes off to the right. <laughs> Irish botanist specialized in algae. He was born in 1811, the youngest of 11. Hmm. And he died in 
1866, the youngest of 66, and lived 55 years. So he is entirely dictated by multiples of 11. <laughs> that is yep. his entire life. <laughs> yep. Good old Harv. <laughs> ah. As a result of the publication of his 1858 book, The Genera of South African Plants, which mm-hmm. kind of connects to the moth and the plant we were just talking about, in which he asked South African readers to send him specimens so that he could begin con- documenting the flora of the Cape, he began a correspondence with Mary Elizabeth Barber, an amateur naturalist who lived in Cape Colony, and their ongoing correspondence took place during a time when it was not generally accepted for women to engage in scientific discussion. Hmm. Indeed, the beginning, in the beginning, Barber did not disclose the fact that she was a woman. Barber became one of Harvey's main suppliers of plants from South Africa first and also assisted him in naming the classification of numerous species and over nearly a 30-year correspondence she sent Harvey approximately 1,000 species Hmm. with notes on each one. Interesting. Way to fight the power there, Mary (laughs) Elizabeth. So, a 30-year correspondence. That's a long chain of letters. He only lived 55 years. Yeah. So, I mean, they had to have started when he was in his early 20s. And yeah, they both had his whole entire life. Yeah, they both had started pretty young. Mm. But it makes it, that first sentence makes it sound like they started their correspondence in ni- 1858. Which can't be the case. Right. It was 30 years. Because, <laughs> I mean, he was a little dead after a certain point. Mm hmm. Gold Harv. Harv would not be there, even in, like, maybe he was just taking letters in the grave, <laughs> taking things like a champ, come back from the dead just to continue writing stuff. <laughs> so by the time Harvey set foot in Western Australia, due to his research and uh, becoming a leading phycologist, not a psychologist, <laughs> a phycologist, he earned the title... Father of Australian Phycology. (laughs) I just like saying it because of the fake out. Phycology. I am a leading phycologist. (laughs) I am one of the top phycologists in my field. I really hope that guy didn't have a lisp. That would have been hell. That would have been murderous. 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 I'm fine. (laughs) I wonder if there are phycologists. Probably a couple of psychiatrists. I think they're mostly psychologists, so. Mm-hmm. Psychology is way easier to pick up. You can get a master's in psychology, I don't know, like just about anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could look into psychology. You could figure out what the psychology is going on. <laughs> There's a lot, of, a lot of links in here, some of which lead to various countries. Mm-hmm. Uh,. My favorite one so far is something I didn't know was a place before called the Friendly Islands. Huh. Friendly Islands. Friendly Islands. Oh, here we are. This botanist is denoted by the author abbreviation HARV when citing a botanical (laughs) name. So Uh. botanists have their own little code that... Hmm. You can, like, get your name attributed to having discovered a certain plant species. Interesting. 
There's a lot of universities in here. There's also a friend of his named Baron Von Ludwig. Sounds like a very generic Baron name. <laughs> Baron Von Ludwig. Just doesn't sound like... Like, okay, wow. <laughs> you could, could you be more German? Could you? No? Well, I didn't think so. All right. Maybe, because there's another um, person named Carl Zayer oh. who was in Utenhaj. Don't forget Otto Wilhelm Sonder, <laughs> who, was another, who was another botanist. Or William Jackson Hooker. Well, Regius Professor of Botany. Some good names. Some good names. Mm-hmm. Oh, he died from tuberculosis. I gotta watch out for that TB. That yeah. fourth meal does nobody any good. Hmm. hmm. You can also go to a list of botanists by author abbreviation. Let's see what other abbreviations are out there. For whatever reason, I want to do that. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it could be interesting. I want to see what other names there are. Yeah. Yeah, we, met, we met Harv this way, so I mean, <laughs> who else can we meet? Uh, let's see. It's like Tinder for botanists. <laughs> well, there certainly are a lot of them. That's Dear Lord. <laughs> that is for sure. There are many. There are almost as many botanists as there are species of plants <laughs> that have had something cited and attributed to them. <laughs> oh well, that guy left out. There's a couple of people here who just like have their names. Yeah. There's this guy named Arthur. That's it. That's his whole <laughs> abbreviation. Like he gets to sit. He just gets to be Arthur. He is the Arthur now forever. <laughs> Ooh, I found a good one here. Aunt Jess. Whoa. All these uh, Antonios and uh, Antoines, they ought to fight now because <laughs> some guy by the name of Franz Antoine showed up in 1815 and was like, I'm Antoine, <laughs> and that's it. Everybody else is Ant dot something. <laughs> yep, and there's actually an Alfred Newman who goes by A. Newman. A. Newman. <laughs> Arm. Okay, so that's A's. <laughs> In B's, there's a guy whose chosen name is Beavis. <laughs> His full name is Georges Eugene Charles Beauvisage, but he shortened it to Beauvis. <laughs> Which I'm just going to go ahead and say is close enough the Beavis for me to call it Beavis. <laughs> I'm kind of really interested in this now. I almost want to go into botany just to like see what I can choose <laughs> to make my citation. Like I wonder how they go through the process of Do they go do they go to Wikipedia? Do they look up this list and just go through and be like, No, sorry, you can't use this citation. This username is already taken. <laughs> what do they do? The guy who goes by Bean. I've never actually seen the last name Bean. Oh, I guess Mr. Bean. Yeah, Mr. Bean. But it's but like there comedy. is a Sean Bean. I never, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget that his last name is actually Bean. I forget that he's he's the around. only other Bean yeah. besides Mr. that I've ever 
scene with that name. I wonder if he's even like born into that name though, you know? Like yeah. if, if that's not a stage name. Hmm. There's a beard. Oh man, that already is a king. <laughs> George King. I highly doubt that my name will have been taken, but you never know. Nope. I have a very uncommon name. Yeah, I think you can actually be a pretty good botanist, Eric. Mm-hmm. Go out, collect some stuff, be the one, the only, <laughs> Toribio. No dots. Yep, no dots. Well, I wonder... You're unfiltered Toribio. I guess there has to be a, a Harvey if he goes by Harv. You would think that? And it must predate him, because why would you just go Harv <laughs> when you well, could have the whole thing? Nope, there's no Harvey. He is... He just wanted to make he, room. Yep. He's just Harv. He's just Harv. <laughs> he's just Harv, man. Or Harvey, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. <laughs> no, he's Harvey. I'm just Harv. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that's what you call me, you know? This psychology, <laughs> this will not stand, man. <laughs> There's a hell. There's a hell? Mm-hmm. Is there a heaven? I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> oh, there's a heist. That's a oh, good one. Oh, nice. What about heist? Does heist have a link? He does, ha he does have a link. Let's do a heist on heist. All right. Go to heist. His full name is Lorenz Heister. He is a heister of things. He's an anatomist. He's German, as are most people, it seems. <laughs> he's okay he's an anatomist surgeon and botanist so he's kind of got his hands all over the place here now he was one of the first uh, botanists it looks like I mean of all the names on that list there were a lot of people around late 1700s early 1800s and definitely a lot more still mm -hmm. 1800s going into 1900s however this guy was born in 1683 hmm. He got a uh, early start on the whole botany craze, yeah. and yet he's still just heist. Mm -hmm. Not heister, heist. I guess it kind of all goes hand in hand. Because um, if you're a surgeon, especially in that time period, you would kind of want to know what plants would help medicinally. Yeah. And so you kind of need to know what you're doing with that. So I guess it would make a lot of sense to actually, you know, be very deep into botany. You'd almost have to be. Um, one thing that I find weird here, though, is how much of an accomplished surgeon that he was while also being this botanist mm. that's recognized still and cited. I mean, look here. There's... Uh, among his writings, it says his best known work is Chirurgy, <laughs> a book on surgery that was translated into several languages, but it was extensively used in Japan huh. and was still employed as a standard text at Vienna as late as 1838. So, his, I mean, for being as, you know, backwards as science was at the time and like mm -hmm. really finding its footing 
The fact that he still had, like, a text on surgery from way back in the early 1700s that people were still using, like, 150 or so years later. Yeah. That's... That's pretty decent. He also... He coined the word tracheotomy. Really? Yep. Wow. That's a big deal. Yeah. People get tracheotomies all the time. And he's the first physician to perform a post-mortem section of appendicitis. <laughs> so he's probably one of the guys who was like, what, why does this keep happening? Why do people keep going septic? What's going on? <laughs> like, without him, I may be dead. I mean, I had <laughs> appendicitis. I <laughs> had my appendix out. He was the guy who was just kind of like, this is weird. <laughs> why does this keep happening to people? I'm just going to slice this dude up and figure out <laughs> why... Why? What, what's wrong yeah. with this picture? Thanks, his name, dude. His name is actually cool. lent to a plant genus. Fist bump. Hysteria. Oh, Hysteria. That's a, I'm thinking of a cartoon. That was a cartoon <laughs> I watched. It's Hysteria. Hysteria is something else. It does kind of sound familiar. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know why, though. Like, maybe I do know the plant, too. His name is also lent to the spiral valves of Heister, which I guess is defined as anatomical folds of the cystic duct. That makes sense. Seems like he has done some work with various uh, ducts and small bits of Mm -hmm. the anatomy. He died in Bornum Am Elm. Okay, so... How do we leave Warren's heister behind? Hmm. We have conducted a heist on heister. <laughs> but where do we go from here? Well, we could take it back to plants with hysteria. Or we could go to another person. We could go to something like field hospitals. We could go to a war. The war of the Spanish succession. The Spanish had to succeed. <laughs> I feel I feel the most clueless about that war. Hmm. I mean, what they secede from? Uh, they succeed. Succession. 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 Yeah. So that means like a king died. And then somebody was something like mad after. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that's not as interesting then. Um, go to surgery. See what the history of surgery is. I don't know. We could start that out. Yeah. That would be interesting. Nice nice broad topic. Mm-hmm. Very uh, lengthy history, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, yep. Quite lengthy indeed. Oh, so that book title from the previous article. Surgery. It's Latin for surgery. Uh, it really isn't all that different from the current <laughs> word for surgery. Chirurgy. Chirurgy. Chirurgia. 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 Mispronouncing Latin, the podcast (laughs) with Eric and John. Well, it means handwork, which is pretty pretty on point, I'd say. Yep. Let's see. We have like a. There is a history section. Let's see. Surgical treatments date back to the prehistoric era. 
The oldest for which there is evidence is trepanation, which a drill, a hole is drilled or scraped into the skull in order to treat health problems, such as cranial pressure or other diseases. It says there's evidence of prehistoric surgical techniques, uh, specifically from ancient Egypt, where mandible dated to approximately 2650 BC, shows two perforations just below the root of the first molar, indicating the draining of an abscessed tooth. Hmm. Which is kind of advanced yeah. for, I mean, like, I guess if it's really bugging you, you'll, uh, you'll do anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, as we've seen in Castaway, sometimes you just gotta take an ice skate to the tooth. That's true. It's true. Even the Indus Valley civilization showed evidence of teeth drilling 9,000 years ago. How? <laughs> you had drills that long ago? I mean, wow. It's probably like a like wooden thing with a crank, mm-hmm. and you just spin it, and it turns like a metal thing, and... Yeah. Probably much, much more painful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely wouldn't be very advanced. Yeah. But it gets the job done. Interest- In the long run. Yeah. Interestingly, though, instruments resembling surgical tools have also been found in the archaeological sites of the Bronze Age in China, dating from the Shang Dynasty, uh, along with seeds likely used for herbalism. Oh, Oh, wow. Surgical texts date back all the way to ancient Egypt about 3,500 years ago. Man, that's a long time. You wouldn't <laughs> have thought. I yeah. mean, I, you know surgery's been around for a while, but that long on paper. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. And it says surgical operations were performed by priests who were specialized in medical treatments similar to today, like sutures for closing wounds. And infections were actually treated with honey. Not a bad move. Yeah. Could do worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So, the Greek Galen was one of the greatest surgeons of the ancient world and performed brain and eye surgery. What? <laughs> we didn't try that stuff again for nearly two millennia. Legitimately, like after him, yeah. it says right here, <laughs> nobody tried again until like now because that was crazy. Yeah. What? He's, but he's one of the greatest. I mean, there's a link to that dude, and now I'm legit curious because yeah. I want to know more about this dude's exploits. It says that the operations were audacious. It says that. <laughs> Wiki- little matter of fact Wikipedia has like no gripes about that no <laughs> citation needed no nothing no it was audacious that was it like if that's agreed upon that's the fact <laughs> well I'm cool with jumping over to Gallon and seeing what is up with this guy let's go see how many gallons it takes <laughs> alias Gallinus or Claudius Gallinus who lived from 129 to about 200 or 216 AD. Better known as Gallon of Pergamon. Arguably, he is the most accomplished of all medical researchers of antiquity and influenced the development of various scientific disciplines, including anatomy, physiology, pathology, pharmacology, and neurology, 
while <laughs> also simultaneously contributing to philosophy and logic. Wow. That's one bright dude. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like this guy pretty much set off, like, the modern era of, you know, medical treatment and stuff. For sure. So this is theories dominated and influenced Western medical science for more than 1,300 years. <laughs> that brings us all the way from his time up through the Renaissance. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like, this dude's dad was around for, like, the crucifixion of Jesus. <laughs> so, like, that's yeah. not that big of a jump. And it says his theory on physiology and uh, of the circulatory system endured until 1628 so his theories were around for well over a thousand years and in, in 1628 William Harvey not Harv, <laughs> not Harv published his treatise entitled De Motu Cordi in which he established that blood circulates with the heart acting as a pump mm-hmm. if that was not established by our friend Gallen then yeah, it was probably a pretty big oversight. <laughs> he wrote a treatise entitled That the Best Physician is Also a Philosopher. It says that he also conducted many nerve ligation experiments hmm. that supported the theory, which is still accepted today, that the brain controls all the motions of the muscles by means of the cranial and peripheral nervous systems. Oh. So he's the guy who established the importance of the nervous system and the brain as the chief of it. Which is, I mean, you, you, it's pretty obvious to us now. Yeah. But that's well, a big step. Take a lot of this knowledge for granted. We do. Like we wouldn't, like, if nobody told us that, yeah. would we have figured it out? <laughs> Debatably not. Right. Apparently, this guy wrote quite a few books. He also wrote one called "On the Affections of the Mind." His father was Alias Nikon. He was an architect and builder. So, that's interesting. Father's a builder. He becomes a physician of sorts. Well, his dad was a pretty prominent architect and was able to afford it. He became pretty affluent. Uh, So, Hmm. our friend Galen was able to go actually afford school and did so. And it looks like where he was born in uh, Pergamon was actually what modern day Turkey would be. So not quite in the what we would consider to be Greece, but he's yeah. still kind but of But he was part of the Greek Empire at the time. Right. <laughs> okay, so it says Around A.D. 145, his father had a dream in which the god Asclepius appeared and commanded Nikon to send his son to study medicine. No expense was spared, and following his earlier liberal education, at 16 he began studies to become a surgeon. So because of a dream, he was whisked away into the world of medicine, never to return. Mm-hmm. It's not Spa- a bad thing. Sparing no expense. Spared no expense. 
So, in 148, just three years after his dad had the dream to send him to medical school in the first place, his dad passed away, leaving our friend Galen, or Galen, or I don't know, uh, independently wealthy. So he followed the advice that he found in Hippocrates' teachings, traveled widely, and uh, went through several destinations, Smyrna, now Izmir, Corinth, Crete, uh, Cyprus, and finally to the great medical school of Alexandria, exposing himself to the various techniques and schools of thought in medicine. And he eventually, at age 28, returned to Pergamon as physician to the gladiators, gladiators of the high priest of Asia, one of the most influential and wealthy men in Asia. It says here that during his tenure as the uh, as the physician attending all of the gladiators, only five deaths occurred hmm. amongst the gladiator population. That's pretty good. Considering <laughs> that normally they're fights to the death? Yeah. Yep. That's pretty darn good. <laughs> and yeah, let's see. So that that was let's see, if he was nineteen in or wait, let's see, he was twenty eight in one fifty seven. So by one sixty two he would have been thirty three. Yep. And that's when he started making his mark as a practicing physician in Rome. However, he didn't get along very well, didn't follow the old dictum, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, <laughs> and he felt uh, some pretty serious uh, pretty serious pressure from the medical community there. Yeah. He had a lot of disagreements with them from his teachings and from what they were you know, practicing at the time, and uh, it became so serious that he feared he might be exiled or poisoned, so he left <laughs> the city. I feel like there was a lot of threat of poison back then. Yeah, I don't understand why it was so easy to poison somebody. Like, <laughs> you would just be... I mean, was it food poisoning or mm. just... Like, they actually just had poisons and you just had no way <laughs> of being like, nah, you can't tell. Yeah, I mean, like, how do you go about poisoning somebody in, like, discreetly in that... I don't know. I mean, you put it... I guess you put it in wine, you put it in food. That, yeah, that's but enough. They have safeguards, like toasting you know you would think but i mean i guess some poisons probably survived that i just yeah. want to know like how they figured them out like cause he had to test all that stuff on people to be like oh well, what survives cooking <laughs> what survives dissolution in water like yeah. that's that's the kind maybe, of stuff i don't really maybe think it was about, like but. somebody would die after eating something and they were like huh that's strange and then they discovered that the thing that they ate was what killed him, and then yep. we thought, oh, okay, so that is poison. Probably. There had to be some way to go about it. Yeah. I, I find it, well, I guess I don't find it too hard to believe that somebody would just sit around trying different things on people and seeing if it yeah. killed them. But right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was probably a time in history where that was just a thing that people did. Yeah, but I, I, I feel like a lot of things were discovered by accident. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, and uh, let's see. Okay, so this doesn't sound like it's much about him. It just starts kind of talking about the war in Rome. Or, like, Rome engaging in foreign wars. Doesn't really mention Galen a whole lot. Just says that he was summoned back to Rome after the plague broke out and everything. Well, the, uh... 
Yeah, there was another great plague. It doesn't really say what it was. I guess they never really yeah. established. But it's not to be confused with the plague. This is about... This is a plague. Yeah, this is just a plague. Yeah, so he was brought back because they needed his fine surgery skills. Ironically, though, everybody who came back to seek Galen's assistance died this time <laughs> through. Galen was fine. He lived. Um, but uh, Marcus Aurelius died of the plague. Hmm. Yeah. It says that Galen was the physician to Commodus for much of the emperor's life and treated his common illnesses, according to Dio Cassius. In about 189 AD, under Commodius's reign, a pestilence occurred, which at its height killed 2,000 people a day Whoa. in Rome. That is a lot of people. Yeah. This was most likely the same plague that struck Rome during Marcus Aurelius's reign. Hmm. And oddly enough, though, despite all of this, Galen just keeps right on kicking. <laughs> 2,000 people a day can die? Nah, not a big deal. And he's in there in the trenches working yep. on these people, and he's like, hey, I'm fine. <laughs> Whatever. Like, get better, dude. Doesn't even matter. <laughs> But yeah, he became physician to Septimius Septimius Severus during his reign in Rome. Galen compliments Severus and Caracalla on keeping a supply of drugs for their friends. <laughs> and mentions three cases in which they had been use been of use in one ninety eight. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, so there is a name for this plague. The Antonine Plague. Named after Marcus Aurelius' family of Antonius. Antonin. Antoninus. <laughs> yeah. It was also known as the Plague of Galen, and it holds an important mm. place in medicinal history because of its association with Galen. His references to the plague on his writings, however, are scattered and brief. Well, if he wasn't really solving the problem, then I feel like I wouldn't probably talk about it too much, too. Yeah, he wasn't really trying to describe it for future generations. He was more interested in the treatment and physical effects of the disease. Yeah, it was a it was a black plague. It covered the victim's entire body and was usually black. And it caused approximately 3.5 to 5 million deaths. That's a lot of people back then. A ton. A ton. I mean, it's a lot of people now. It's yeah, I mean, back yeah. then that's still a huge pop. That's a huge dent in the population of all yeah. of Europe. So he died at the age of seventy or eighty-seven. Yes, or eighty-seven. Either <laughs> they don't actually know. Seems like two out of three sources on the subject side on him having lived a little bit longer, hmm. uh, going out to two seventeen, two sixteen. About A.D. It's very strange that records back then seem to never know exactly when certain people died. Well, when you're the main dude overseeing, like, people getting cured from a plague, I don't really know if there's anybody, like, above you on the food chain to be like, yeah. hey, well, this guy's dead. Like, if you're dead, everybody's dead. Like, shoot. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, um, one of his contributions to medicine was the humors theory about how different differences in human moods come as a consequence of imbalances in one of the four bodily fluids blood 
yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm. So that's kind of like a weird alchemy explicitly using four different elements within the body. Yeah. Strange to me, because I've never seen black I've never seen black bile. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to either. I just yeah. see him as Well, nasty. he was around for a plague. Ah, uh, so yeah, that makes probably sense. Probably could have. He could relate. <laughs> He'd probably see it a couple of times here and there. But yeah, his uh, work on the circulatory system was his major um, contribution. He was the first to recognize that there was a difference between dark venous blood and bright arterial blood. So, interestingly enough, he couldn't make too much headway on the front of surgery stuff because uh, Roman law prohibited the section of human endeavors uh, starting around 150 BC. Hmm. Uh, so, because of this, he started dissecting uh, living and dead animals, mostly focusing on pigs and primates. Because of that, he found useful anatomical structures of these animals and uh, was able to figure out they closely mirrored those of humans. Hmm. He clarified that the anatomy of the trachea and uh, was the first to demonstrate that the larynx generates the voice. In one experiment, Gavin used bellows to inflate the lungs of a dead animal. <laughs> This is kind of funny wording, but not what it actually means. In one of his books, he explained the difference between motor and sensory nerves, discussed the concept of muscle tone, yeah. and explained the difference between agonists and antagonists. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's what we think it means. I think it's a different thing. Mm, yeah. Probably. I've never heard of agonists. Well, they're the opposite of antagonists. <laughs> like an antagonist is somebody who's like against your story, your your story driving character, <laughs> and then you get your protagonist, which is like your your good guy, mm-hmm. and then you got your agonist, who's just there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they're just round, you know. There's a lot of agonists. Yeah, a lot of NPCs. <laughs> Ooh, okay. So to correct cataracts in patients who performed an operation similar to a modern one used a needle shaped instrument and attempted to remove the cataract affected lens of the eye <laughs> that's, Damn, that's pretty cool. precision surgery there for that, that time crazy intuitive and crazy brave I'm surprised <laughs> he got yeah. anybody to ever sit through that <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure after him, other people were just saying, hey, I'm not going anywhere near eyes. That's yeah. <laughs> like that, you can just mess people up that way. You can just mess them up. So, at first, reluctantly, but then with increasing vigor, Gallen promoted Hippocratic teaching, including venesection and bloodletting, then unknown in Rome. This was sharply criticized by the... Erasistratians, who I have never heard of, Me who predicted dire outcomes, believing it was not blood but pneuma that flowed into <laughs> the veins. Not the pneuma. <laughs> pneuma, pneuma. Yeah, I've never heard of Erasis. That Eras. The Erasistration? The Erasist. Erasist 
E-Racist. The E-Racists, <laughs> right. <laughs> or Numa. I haven't heard of Numa either in whatever context they're trying to be. Numa, 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 yay. I'm guessing it's some sort of... Oh, it's a stoic thing, huh? Okay, mm. that might be interesting. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff Galen did. I don't know if we'll be able to cover it all. Yeah. Honestly, this is something that I would t- totally read all of end to end, but I don't want to. This guy interacted with a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how substantial or comprehensive his works are, but there sure are a lot of them. <laughs> and he interacted with some big league names. Mm-hmm. People you know from like just reading the Bible or going to a history class that one time <laughs> that you actually showed up. It doesn't matter. Like, you you know some of these people already. This guy's mm-hmm. just kind of been hovering around in the background the entire time, like, being like, hey, I've been keeping everybody alive. <laughs> no big. Just fixing people's eyes and brains here. Yep, yep. Back uh, 2,000 years ago. <laughs> you know, no sweat. No, no big deal. Yeah, I'd be up for jumping over to something that we've never heard of before. Well, there's plenty of uh, selection <laughs> in this article. We can go to anything that we want to, pretty much. The Erasistratians. I really do want to know what they are all about. I do, too. I I want to know why they care about stuff. Okay, so Erasistratus was a guy who's a Greek anatomist and royal physician under Seleucus? Seleucus? The first Nicator of Syria. So a royal physician. So he in founded the, a school of anatomy in Alexandria, hmm. where they carried out anatomical research. And he's credited with his description for the of the uh, valves of the heart. Uh, also concluded that the uh, heart was not the center of sensations, but instead functioned as a pump. Hmm. He was among the first to distinguish between veins and arteries. (laughs) But he believed that the arteries were full of air and that they carried the animal spirit, a.k.a. Numa. He considered atoms to be the essential body element, and he believed they were vitalized by the Numa that circulated through the nerves. He also thought the nerves moved a nervous spirit from the brain. See, this is the problem here. Like, this guy's obviously pretty smart yeah. from when he was around, but then he started going off pretty steep pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it seems like Gowan was a little more on point, even if he didn't have everything exactly right. Right. He was at least, like, sticking to, like... Okay, so this causes this, and this causes this, and that's what I know, whereas Aristratus was a lot along the lines of like, well, I know this stuff, so safe to assume there's animals, animal spirits in, in <laughs> animal our Animal spirits our going through your veins. Yeah, that's what keeps them veins. <laughs> that's, why they're, that's why they're big and veiny. Well, he, he's uh, credited with one of the first in-depth descriptions of the cerebrum and cere- cerebellum. I mean, yeah. Like I said, this guy is smart. He knows when he's found something, like, notable. But it's weird that he also is, like, all of a sudden just trying to, like, shoo in these weird, like, inferences that come out of nowhere. 
Like, I don't know. Was he having like a, like, was it a slow discovery day for him? Like he was cutting people up and he's like, oh man, I'm not finding anything new. I got to make, I got to make people care about me again. I got to stay relevant. I got to stay on the scene, man. Or it's like, he's, you know, talking to people and he's like, yeah. So we have veins and arteries and people are like, yeah. And then he's like, and the arteries carry an animal spirit through them. Yeah. And everybody's like, wait. Wait, what? <laughs> Why? Why did they do that? Why would they do that? Okay. <laughs> Where are we getting the animal spirit from? I mean, we're animals. I guess we have spirit. So maybe? Maybe that? Maybe that's what he meant. That's what he meant. That's what he meant. He's, he's talking about good stuff. Just shut up. Just let him speak. Just let him speak. There's Travis. I know. He's cool. He's cool. It's fine. There's a very strange link over on the side here under the picture. Erasistratus discovering the cause of Antiochus disease. That's a link. That's a page on Wikipedia. Maybe that's the name of that painting. I don't know. It is the name of that painting. It is not, in fact, a historical event. (laughs) It is this painting. (laughs) It would be very strange if that was a historical event that he was describing on Wikipedia. Yeah, it's a, a painting depicting an episode from Plutarch's book *Lives*, in which Greek court physician Aristratus diagnoses the illnesses of Antiochus, son of Seleucus Sel- I, as love sickness for his stepmother <laughs> Stratonis. Love sickness, eh? Yep. Love sickness. <laughs> I wonder where that link leads. Hmm. <laughs> Seems pretty tempting. Except for the part where we already talked about it. <laughs> Though it is weird that he was diagnosing the illness of Antiochus as love sickness for his stepmother. <laughs> what is what is this sentence trying to say? Because it sounds hmm. uncomfortable. But I don't quite think I'm unlatching well, out of what they mean. If you yeah. remember, love sickness was the one that is essentially just missing somebody. Yeah. So that's what he was doing. Yeah. Was he was ill because he was like, uh, my stepmom, who's not like my real mom, but like she's really cool. She's gone. <laughs> Oh no, what well, was me? And then she went like, and he yeah. just like went, went all crazy and stuff. And I guess Aristratus showed up and was like, ah, calm down, dude. You just got animal blood. <laughs> animal spirits. They're just in your veins, man. You just gotta let them, let them flow through you. It'll be fine. Okay, so, um, Aristratus has some interesting stuff happening here. Uh, he lived for some time at the court of that Seleucus guy, where he acquired a great reputation for discovering the disease, which was the king's eldest son that had it. Ah, okay. And then um, Seleucus, and his old, in his old age, named married Stratonis, and um, then Antiochus the one with the disease fell violently in love with his mother-in-law. Um. 
<laughs> but did not disclose his passion and chose fall? rather to pine away in silence. How do you fall violently in love? <laughs> okay. Oh, no. Violently in love. Falling violently in love. <laughs> what a weird way to phrase it. Yeah. Just way, way, way to make a situation that's already pretty uncomfortable more <laughs> uncomfortable. Ah, so physicians were at first unable to figure out what was going on with the disease. And then um, Erasistratus came along and he was like, hmm. He was also at a loss at first. But then he began to suspect that it must be his mind that was diseased. And that he might perhaps be in love. Huh. So he came in and he was like, yo, this dude's totally like crushing on some broad. <laughs> and then everybody was like, wait, who? Yep. And that's when he, so he was trying to keep it under wraps. He was just doing a real wicked bad <laughs> job. Pretty much. He was so lovesick or whatever that he was physically ill from it. And wow. That's pathetic. Um, this it confirmed Dude. that when he was observed, uh, his skin to be hotter, his color to be heightened, and his pulse quickened whenever his mother-in-law came near him. Yikes. And none of these symptoms occurred any other occasion. Wow, man, that's embarrassing for you. You had to get called out <laughs> on that by a physician, man. Yep, and then Erasistratus told the guy's dad... Hey, your son's disease is incurable because he's in love. And he has no way of, you know, satisfying that love because it is to your wife in law? I don't know. Oh. It was Erasistratus' wife. Um, and then Seleucus tried to persuade him to give her up to his son. Seleucus was as good as his word. Not only gave up the wife, Stratonice, but also resigned to his son several provinces of his empire <laughs> just to make him feel better. <laughs> wow. What a weird story. <laughs> Strange times to live in. Like, that was what he was like. <laughs> Yo, he's jealous of your... Yo, he's jealous of your girlfriend. Like, give me a girlfriend. He'll be better. <laughs> Medicine in the ancient world. <laughs> That's our show, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep, that is... That is it. From Basiothia Shanky to Erasistratus. <laughs> Lots of real fun <laughs> words on this one. Oh, boy. Yep. yep, so if you enjoyed this, or even if you don't, please visit facebook.com slash podcast and give us a like and follow, because who cares? You like us, you don't have to ever look at us again, but it helps us out. Um, then head over to iTunes and rate and review us. And um, you can also find new episodes on our website, twc.erictoribio.com. And I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song. 
and Blind Lemon Jefferson for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Wow. That got, well, I mean, like, I knew this guy was going to go off the rails whenever he started talking about animal spirits. But then he, like, started getting all up, like, dating his medicine now and stuff like whoa whoa i mean i know we had like a long way to go at that point in history but i mean come on it's just started getting weird and do anything to solve they would do anything for medicine So they did. They did yeah, do that. Like he was married. Yeah. He was married to this broad, and he was just like, "Yeah, sure, have her." <laughs> what? Just, it's, I feel like he did it less to cure his son and more to prove Erastostratus wrong. Be like, "Hey, yeah. no, 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 I would give up my wife. Yeah, I would totally do that." Yeah. And he's like, "All right, so give her up." Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right, I'll do it. And turns out, nah, it was pretty much it. He was just throwing one of the world's largest hissy fits. <laughs> you didn't even catch on. Yep. Father of the year. <laughs> 350 BC. Here's my wife and here's all my land, son. Now Feel better. I will go to die. <laughs> oh, I guess he already had a kid, right? He already had like a male yeah. heir. He already has an heir. What does he care? His name, his, his name and his empire will live on for a short while. No, I don't know who he is. Shoot. Oh, that was good.